recently, some of my cousins on the Thompson side of my family have been self-publishing some history about our family. For some of them, it's been genealogy. This person was my parent, my grandparent, my great-grandparent, tracing all the way back to when the Thompsons first came to America. Some of my cousins are writing books about just the history of our family and stories and anecdotes and things like that, and including lots of pictures, which are a lot of fun to look at. And then some of my cousins are publishing memoirs of their parents uh, who have gone to be with God in heaven. And it's really neat to get a perspective of, of their life and how it re related to, to my parents as well. And so uh, it's been very special. Now, I'm sure that if you were to read some of these uh, books or look at the genealogies, you might think that's nice, but probably a little bit boring because you're not a Thompson unless you're a Thompson. But, but for us, it's powerful uh, because it helps us know who we are and, and where we came from. And I think the reason that so many of my cousins are beginning to do this at the same time is that most of us are all middle-aged now, and the generation ahead of us, our parents, uh, that generation's dwindling because they're going to be with God in heaven. And we realize just how short our time is on the earth, and so we're trying desperately to capture some of those stories and, and to hang on to that and enjoy our family while we still have them on this earth. And we look forward to seeing them in heaven, absolutely, but... But there's just something that's been powerful in my family about finding out who we are and where we came from and, and what our roots are, and, and that's been a powerful thing for us. And maybe I just invite you to think about your own families. Is this something of interest to you? Who are you and where did you come from and who are your ancestors and what are some of those stories and what are some of those pictures and, and all that kind of stuff? Because when I was younger, I, I didn't really care because, you know, I'll figure that out later. Now it's later for me. And so... Who are you? And where did you come from? And what are your roots? And why does that matter? History and family history is very important to God. And we find that when we read the Word of God in the Bible. Now, maybe you've tried to read through the Bible before, maybe starting at the book of Genesis and try to go all the way through the book of Revelation. And, and when we do that, there's a lot of excitement. And we're ready to go, I'm going to read the whole Bible. And there's some really cool stories and miracles and all kinds of fun things that we read in the Bible. But there's also some challenging things that we read in the Bible, things that we don't understand, violence that we don't support. And sometimes we just read stuff that, quite honestly, can be boring. A lot of people get stuck in the third book of the Bible. We read through Genesis and Exodus, and it's great, these stories. And we hit Leviticus, it's like, whoa, I can't get any further. And sometimes in the Bible, we have these genealogies that I've been talking about these long lists of families and who's related to who, and lots of them have names that we can't understand or begin to pronounce. And so maybe if you're like me, you come to one of those genealogies in the, in the books in the Bible, and you read it, and you just kind of flip through it and say, I'm just going to skip over that. I'm going to get through this chapter more quickly. I understand that because I've done that. But when we stop and pay attention to some of these genealogies, these histories, these family histories that are listed in the Bible, we're going to learn a lot. We're going to learn a lot about God. We're going to learn a lot about ourselves. And today, I want to help you explore one of these. As Pastor Lindsay and I have talked about, we are in the Among Us series. We're in the season of Advent where we're getting ready to celebrate the birth of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. And, and we're super excited about being able to do that. And, and there are only two books in the Bible that talk about Jesus as a baby, his infancy stories. And those are the Gospels of Matthew and Luke. They're in the New Testament. And so a gospel means the good news of Jesus. And so Matthew and Luke record the, the, the stories of Jesus as a baby, and both of them have their own genealogies. And each one of them kind of focuses on a different part of Jesus' family history. 
Matthew was writing in the first century in Israel to people who were Jewish, who were from the, the country of Israel. And so he traces Jesus' lineage back to the very first person in the nation of Israel, Abraham, and he stops right there because that's what he's interested in. That's who his audience is interested in. Luke is writing to a Gentile audience, which means people who are not from the land of Israel, from the, the country of Israel. And so Luke goes all the way back to Abraham, but then he even goes further back to Adam before there was a, a, a nation of Israel because Luke's people that he's talking to Right? They understand the Jewish side of that, but they want to go back even deeper to the very first human, that they and Jesus descend from the very first human. So it's a kind of a different approach in, in what they're doing. Matthew focuses more on Joseph's lineage, and Luke focuses more on Mary's lineage. Well, we're going to be in the Gospel of Matthew today, in the very first chapter, before the angel Gabriel shows up, before the birth of Jesus, or no room at the end, before the angels and shepherds and wise men and star... There are 17 verses in Matthew chapter 1 that are the genealogy, the history of Jesus' family. And I'm not going to read all those to you and bore you with 17 verses of, of names, but I do want to start with Matthew 1.1 because we're going to learn a lot about who Jesus is and why he came out of one verse. Who Jesus is and why he came. And you know, honestly, this is one of the coolest things about our new campus is this cool TV that I get to use and preach from. And thanks to Lindsay for bringing that out. And that's just super. I feel like Andy Stanley up here, Pastor Andy Stanley. But this is awesome. So I'm really glad to be able to do this today. But we're in Matthew 1.1. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And we can leave that up. just want to focus on that for just a minute. So the genealogy, right, the Genesis. This is the story of Jesus. Right, and who's the story about? It's about Jesus. Jesus literally means God saves. Right? So the name of Jesus says what he's sent to do. He's sent to save us, to save us from our wrongdoing, to save us from guilt, to save us from shame, to save us from death, and to save us from hell, right? Separation from God and, and each other. So Jesus, this is the story of Jesus, the Messiah. Another translation of this says this is the genealogy of Jesus Christ. A lot of times we think Jesus Christ is like Jesus' full name, like Kyle Thompson, like Jesus Christ, right? Christ is not Jesus' last name. It's a title, right? So we see that today, Jesus the Messiah. Like I'm Kyle the pastor. Debbie's the doctor, right? Jesus is the Messiah. Messiah means anointed one, means uh, the Savior, that Jesus was sent to save us. So right from the beginning, we know who he is. His name says it. His title says it. This is a person who is going to save us from a lot of bad stuff for a lot of good stuff, for life to the full, life forever in the kingdom of heaven. And he is the son of David. Right? Now, there are a lot of people between Jesus and David, but we want to highlight David. But David lived about 1,000 years before Jesus did. He was a king of Israel. He was the greatest king of Israel. And under him, Israel was at its height, right, militarily, politically, that sort of thing. And God made a promise to David that his family would rule forever. Now, at the time, David thought it would be a military rule or a political rule, but we find out that ultimately that's a different kind of rule, that David's family indeed will rule forever because his descendant is Jesus, and Jesus is the ruler of the universe, right? So it's important that Jesus is connected to David. He is a royal person. He is in a, a royal lineage. He is, he is in the, a descendant of kings. And because he is the ruler of all of the universe, that prophecy that was told to David comes true. 
And then we jump back to the son of Abraham. Now, again, there's tons of generations between David and Abraham, tons between Jesus and David. Abraham's a couple of thousand years before Jesus. And the reason he's important is because he's the first person in the nation of Israel. And God came to Abram, and he was named Abram first, changed his name to Abraham. Abraham and his wife Sarah, and he said, I want to do something for you. I want to make a covenant with you, this binding agreement. I want to make you into a great nation. I want to give you the land of Israel. And the reason I'm doing this is I want to, through you and your family and your nation, I want to bless the entire world. So that's the covenant. That's the promise that God made to Abram, who becomes Abraham. And that's the story of the whole Old Testament. And now with Jesus' birth, it all comes true. Jesus now is born from the lineage of Abraham. And because of that, everyone, not just the people of Israel, everyone can receive salvation. Everyone can receive life to the full. So just one verse says who Jesus is and why he came. That's a powerful way for Matthew to start his gospel. And it would be easy for us to overlook that because all these names that could be super boring, but it's powerful. And I could stop right now because that's the whole point of of this message and and this, this first chapter, these first 17 verses. But this is the first Sunday in our new campus, and i got to keep talking, y'all, because this is fun, and I like preaching in front of you and in front of you, and I mean, this is awesome, and so there's so much more, so let's dive into that. Um, one interesting thing about family histories is that usually uh, we don't want to share our dirt or dirty laundry with people, right? We, we want to keep the skeletons in the closet, so if you've got a weird Uncle Harry or a weird Aunt Harriet, they're probably not going to show up in the stories of your family history. We want to hide those people that might be embarrassing or they've done things that are wrong. Uh, It might make for more interesting reading, but usually we try to hide the dirt or the dirty laundry in our lives. We we try to get rid of those skeletons. We keep them in the closet. Interesting thing, in the genealogy of Jesus, 17 verses, they air the dirty laundry. They let the skeletons out of the closet. And I'm going to help you see what some of this is. We're going to walk through that together. And some of these names that are listed in these 17 verses, some of them are heroes. They're kings of Israel, they're men of God, and they've done powerful things, they've done mighty things, gone on all these adventures and stood up to evil, and and they, we would think, deserve to be in the genealogy of Jesus. There are also some kings that are in Jesus' history, his family history, his lineage, that were evil, and they hated God, and they stood against God, and they killed people, and they murdered, and they stole, and they did horrible things, they worshipped false gods, And you would think that whoever was writing the Bible would say, okay, we know these guys are in Jesus' lineage, but let's leave them out. Let's erase them from history. But no, they're in there. They're in there. And so we want to think, why is it that they were listed? Another weird thing about Jesus' genealogy, and this is going to sound to us as being weird in the 21st century, in Jesus' genealogy, women are mentioned, right? Now, from the 21st century, we're like, of course women are mentioned. That's how babies happen. Women give birth to babies. There's no genealogy without women. Can I get an amen, ladies? I mean, that, that is true. But in Jesus' time, right, genealogies were focused on the men because they were patriarchal societies. And the men were seen as the head of the households. And so the only things that were listed in genealogies were men. In biblical genealogies and histories of other people outside the Bible, right, don't be mad at me. I'm just telling you what it was, right? That's how it is. But in Jesus' genealogy, there are five women. And it's very interesting to think about, right? You've got 
couple thousand years of history, why were these particular five women chosen to be in Matthew's genealogy of Jesus? There, there's a bunch more women that they could have put in this. Why these five women? So I'm going I'm to go through these briefly. And as I do, I just want you to think to yourselves, why do you think these particular women were the ones that were included in the genealogy of Jesus when they never put women in, ge in genealogies in the Bible? Okay, so let's look at the first woman. Uh, we're going to be in Matthew 1, verse 3. So Perez and Zerah, those are boys, and their mother was Tamar. Okay, Tamar was in the book of Genesis long time before Jesus lived. Very interesting person. Tamar dressed up and pretended to be a prostitute so that she could trick her father-in-law into conceiving a child with her. Wow, right? Like if that was my family history, Aunt Tamar would not be listed in the Thompson genealogy, right? That, that's someone that you wouldn't want to have in your record book or your history. Right? That's just weird. Why is Tamar listed in the history of Jesus. But we, we need to learn more about her story. Her father-in-law had promised that she could marry his son and have a child and, and, and be a mom, right? Which in that day, a long time ago, that was how women had status. That's how women had power, had a place in society. And Tamar's father-in-law lied about that, and he didn't let it happen. He used his power to take advantage of her and keep her from having a child. So she took matters into her own hands. So an interesting character. Why do you think she's listed in the genealogy of Jesus? Well, let's keep going and see what else we learn from, from the other four women who are, are listed in Jesus' genealogy. The next one in verse 5, Boaz, that's, that's, a, that's a boy, a man, by his mom Rahab. Okay? Now, Rahab was an actual prostitute, and she was not from the land of Israel. She lived in the city of Jericho. Again, this is a long time before Jesus was born. The people of Israel had been slaves in Egypt. They escaped from that. God set them three, free through the Red Sea. Right, they wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years, and now they're finally coming into the land of Israel that God promised to Abraham. And so they're coming in, and the, there are people that live there that are their enemies, and they're going to have to take the land of Israel from them. Rahab lived in Jericho, and she was one of the enemies. She was not Jewish. She was not of the land of Israel. And when the Israelites sent spies into the city of Jericho, she helped them. So this was a foreigner. She had questionable morality because of her profession. But evidently, she was on God's side, and she helped the people of Israel. So maybe that's why she's listed in the genealogy. Why do you think she might be listed in Jesus' story, his family history. Let's keep going with the next one. This is Obed, verse 5, again, a man, by Ruth. Ruth is his mother. Now, you might have heard of Ruth. She has her own book in the Bible. She has a book in the Old Testament. She's one of the heroes of the faith. This one's starting to make a little more sense about why she's listed in the genealogy of Jesus. And by the way, Pastor Lindsay preached an awesome sermon on Ruth earlier this year. If you haven't seen it, go check that out on our website. That's amazing. Lindsay did an awesome job with that. And so Ruth is the, one of the heroes of our faith. Now what's interesting about Ruth, again, she's not Jewish. She's not of the land of Israel. She was a Moabite. 
And at the time, it said in the, in, the, in the history and the law of the Jewish people that Moabites were not allowed to be with the people of Israel, not to be in the congregation, not to be around them, uh, so much so that not to the 10th generation, right? So Ruth couldn't be there. Her children couldn't be there. Her grandchildren couldn't be there. Her great-grandchildren, her great-greats, you go seven greats down the line, 10 entire generations not allowed to be in the people of Israel, and there she is. There she is, an ancestor of Jesus. Why do you think that is? Let's keep going. Verse 6, all right. Solomon, this is uh, the son of King David, right, by the wife of Uriah. Okay, the wife of Uriah, you might know her by her name is Bathsheba. Okay, remember King David, thousand years before Jesus, greatest king in the history of Israel. God loved him. He had a heart for God. He did mighty things for God, you know, the greatest ruler in the, in, in the history of Israel. He also was human, and he made mistakes. And he had one of his soldiers was Uriah, right, who was a Hittite, not a Jewish person, not from the land of Israel, fighting for, for Israel. And Uriah's wife, Bathsheba, was beautiful. And David saw her, and he had an affair with her. And he loved her so much that she conceived a child, Solomon. And David had Uriah killed, sent him to the front of the war, had all the other soldiers withdraw so that he would die. So David, the man of God, this amazing, awesome dude, hero of the faith, also was a murderer and adulterer, and Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah, got caught up in that. Now, we don't know whether she was a willing participant or not, because when the king says, I want to see someone, they have no choice. So we're not sure, willing participant or not, but she was a Gentile, non-Jew, and part of an affair led to a murder, and she's listed in the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Why is that? Okay, one more, and you're probably going to recognize this one. And this one, this one makes sense. It's kind of a slam dunk here. Um, verse 16, Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ, right? Makes good sense. She's the one who gave birth to Jesus. She should probably be in the genealogy, right? So that, that one's a, a slam dunk, right? This young lady, she's probably a uh, young teenager, Angel Gabriel comes, says, God would like for you to be the mother of the Son of God. The Holy Spirit will give you this child, and we'd like for you to marry your, your fiancé, Joseph. And so Mary does marry Joseph. And what's important here is that this lineage that we've been studying in Matthew's Gospel, when Joseph adopts Jesus, Jesus taps into that, right? So this is Joseph's lineage. Joseph is the descendant of all these people that we've seen. Joseph is the descendant of David. Joseph is the, the flesh and blood descendant of Abraham. Because remember, Jesus came from flesh and blood of Mary, and then the Holy Spirit uh, made her pregnant. Right? So he didn't have flesh and blood from a father. So now he does legally through Joseph. So that's very important for Mary and Joseph to be a part of this story. So we have five women. We've got heroes and villains, male and female. Right? What's going on with the genealogy of Jesus? Why are these particular people listed in the genealogy of Jesus? Right? Heroes and villains, men and women, Jews and Gentiles. Some have done good things. Some have done evil things. Right? Why are these people listed specifically in the genealogy of Jesus? Well, I think it has something to do with this. I think that, again, this is before the angel Gabriel, this is before the birth, this is before Bethlehem, this is before the angels, the shepherds, the wise men, the star, right? Matthew is showing us that this person who's going to be born is going to be something like we've never seen before. 
I think what Matthew's doing is saying, expect the unexpected, right? This child that's going to be born, this child that comes from all these people is going to be like a child like none other that's ever been born in the world, right? Expect the unexpected. This is not an average birth. This is something that's extraordinary. Expect the unexpected. And this Jesus, by the way, has a family history that is full of all kinds of people, right? Men and women, right? Heroes and villains, good and evil, right? This Jesus' family is made up of all kinds of people just like you and me. And by the way, that's exactly what his church becomes. It's made up of all kinds of people just like you and me. Sometimes we're heroes, sometimes we're villains, right? We're male and we're female, right? Sometimes we do good, sometimes we do evil, right? The church of God is like the family of God. It's made up of all kinds of people. And I think what Matthew is showing us in this genealogy is that God keeps his promises, Right? God keeps His promises. The covenant that God made with Abraham that was renewed with David is now tr- coming true in Jesus. That the nation of Israel was an awesome nation, and now because of it, the whole world can be blessed. Because Jesus has come from this, right? and now everyone can receive salvation through Christ. Everyone can receive life to the full. Everyone can receive eternal life in heaven. And along the way... Along the way, over all these thousands of years, God uses all sorts of people to make it happen. Which means that God can use you and God can use me and we can be a part of the family of God. We can be a part of God's church because that's the kind of God that Jesus is. So what? What's the point? What's the big idea? What's the takeaway Why are we focusing on these verses in in a genealogy? We're talking about God uh, among us, right? This is what I think it is. God is among all of us. God is among all of us. Men and women and heroes and villains and saints and sinners. God is among all of us. That's why David and Abraham are mentioned in Jesus' genealogy. That's why Tamar and Rahab and Mary and Ruth and Bathsheba are mentioned in Jesus' genealogy. God is among all of us. Because sometimes I think, brothers and sisters, that that we think that Jesus just came for us, right? When when Jesus came for everyone, we, we think that God is among us. When we hear that, we think it's our group, right? God is among my family. God is among my church. God is among my denomination. God is among people who live in my zip code. God is among people who have the same flesh color and skin color as I do. God is among my political party, right? God is among my nation, right? We think God is among us and not everybody else. But Matthew shows us that God is among all of us. Jesus came for all of us. God came for all of us. And so what I would invite you to do right now, whether you're here in person or whether you're watching online, I want you to think about somebody in your life right now that's just really difficult to, to get along with. And maybe you, maybe you just don't like them. Maybe you can't stay in the sight of them. Maybe they irritate you to death. I want you to think about that person and who they are. Is that somebody at school? Is that somebody at work? Hopefully it's not somebody at church, but it could happen. Uh, Is that somebody in your neighborhood? Is that a politician that you see on television that just makes you cuss like a sailor, right? Who is that person in your life? And I want you to picture that person in your life, and I want you to fill in this blank, okay? God came for blank. Put that person's name in there. 
God came for your neighbor. God came for the, the, your student. God came for your teacher. God came for the politician that you can't stand. God came for whoever you're thinking about right now. And I want to challenge you the next time that you see this person, the next time you're around this person, I want you to think that God came for them, so how are you going to treat them? How will you respond to them? It doesn't mean that you have to agree with them. It doesn't mean that you have to like them, but maybe we don't demonize them. Maybe we're kind to them, right? God came for who? God came for all of us. God is among all of us, right? The genealogy of Jesus bears that out. This is a God that we have to expect the unexpected. God is among all of us. 2020 has been a tough year. It's been a challenging year. It's been a hard year for so many reasons and, and for so many of us in so many different ways. But especially for a group in, in America that, that, that we've been reminded have just felt like outsiders for 400 years. That, that we have said, you're not among us as Americans. That God's not among you and, and who you are. And I'm specifically speaking about our African-American brothers and sisters, our black American brothers and sisters, right? That for 400 years we say, you don't belong. You're not among us. That God is not among you. But the way I read this, this verse, this, this chapter in Matthew's gospel, is that black lives matter. All lives matter when black lives matter. Right? And so God is among all of us. And I'm so excited that we, as South Park Church, are going to be taking up an offering on Christmas Eve as a Christmas present to Jesus to give away to God. And an offering is going to go to provide scholarships for African-American students in North Carolina right, through the United Negro College Fund, the UNCF. And so what I would invite you to do is to think and pray about supporting this Christmas Eve offering, to say to our brothers and sisters that, we value you. We see you. You are on an equal playing field with us, right? Because in America, African-American students, black students, they, they graduate at a lower rate than white students, and they come out owing more money than white students do, not because they're less intellectual, but because we have systems in our nation that are broken and racist and hold them down. And so this is a small way that we can say to our African-American brothers and sisters in North Carolina that we believe in you, God loves you, and we want to we help you get an education. And so I invite you to do that. I, I just, I'm proud of our church for being willing to do this. I think it's powerful. I think another way that we see God among us is this campus where we're standing. I'm standing right now, and I can look out the window, and I can see apartments, and I can see restaurants, and I can see a hotel, and and in the midst of that is the church. And, and, and that's the vision that God gave us, right? We, we tore down our old church campus to build this mixed-use development to where people eat and live and shop and play. And in the middle of that is the church. And we are a literal example, a literal reminder that God is among us, that God meets us where we are and helps us become something more, that the church and the community intersect. And so I'm just so proud to be a pastor of a church who has done what we've done in this project? Because God is among us, and we want the world to know that visually and also in the way that we, we care for people. And also today, I would say to those of you who are watching online that, that you're an example of this. This is the first Sunday 
that we're live streaming our worship services. Over the last eight months, we've been on the internet, but we pre-recorded our stuff. It was awesome. We had, had great worship. But now, this is the first time we're live streaming because we're excited to be in the new campus, but we're also excited to reach people out uh, in the world, around North Carolina and the U.S. and all the way around the world through technology that God's among you. Wherever you are today, in your living room or uh, if you're getting coffee somewhere, wherever you are, God is among you, is among all of us, and you're every bit as a part of our congregation as anyone. So we're going to continue to have our new campus. We're also going to continue to be on the Internet because it shows, right, God's a big God, and we dream big with God, and those dreams come true, and you are every bit a part of our congregation. And what I'd just like to invite all of you to do today is to think about this gift that God has given us, this, this baby Jesus who grew up to be a man who died on the cross and came back to life, right, so that we can be forgiven. Our guilt and shame can be taken away and it can be replaced with joy and peace and that we can live life to the full, right, life to the full now and live forever in the kingdom of heaven. That's why Jesus came. Right? He came for you and you and for you and for you and for me. And sometimes we think we don't belong, right? We, we feel like the skeleton in the closet. We feel like we're the dirt that swept under the rug in the, in the history of God. But God says, no, no, I want to bring you out, and I want to show you off. Every one of you is my family. I came and died and came back to life for every one of you. And so if you've not yet received Jesus as your Savior, I would invite you to open your heart right now and to ask him. To say, God, thank you for being among us. Thank you for coming as a baby. Thank you for dying on a cross and coming back to life. Please forgive me of my, my, my wrongdoing. Take my guilt and shame away, Lord, and give me life to the full and let me live forever in the kingdom of heaven. Let me be a part of your kingdom on the earth. If you do that, Jesus will, will give you that. And we will be glad to surround you and welcome you into our church family because that's exactly why we're here. God is among all of us. So thank you for being a church that believes in this and lives it to the full in the way that we've built this campus, in the way that we reach out online. God is among us. Jesus came for you. Be a part of the family of God and know that you are rooted in Jesus Christ. Let us pray together. Gracious and ever-loving God, we thank you for being among all of us, that you love us, God, no matter what our background, male or female, God, rich or poor, black or white, uh, sinner or saint, God, you love us and you sent your son into the world for us. You even died for us on the cross and came back to life so that we can live life to the full. Thank you, God, for this. Help us to see other people in the ways that you see us, that you came for the people in our lives that are difficult to deal with, Lord, and that we would treat them as you would have us treat them. Thank you, God, for this church. Thank you for planting us here in this space, Lord, replanting us in the South Park community, even as you planted us first in the Sharon community. We pray for our neighbors, God, for all those who will be in the Apex South Park development, in the apartments, in the restaurants, in the shops, in the hotel. And God, may we be truly good friends to them, and may we help them find life to the full in you. We pray for the empty seats in our church, Lord, that they represent lost souls in the world and that you would fill these seats up even as you fill up the hearts and souls of those that they represent. Thank you for those who are out in the world, Lord, watching through the Internet and those who will come and find you through our worship services online. We thank you for that great gift and we honor all of those folks who are with us today. 
But most especially, God, we thank you for your son, Jesus, and for coming into this world as a fragile infant and paying the ultimate price as an adult, God. You came to be among us. And so today we honor you. It's in your holy name that we pray. Amen.